tonight, Romans chapter 7. I want to try to get through some stuff here tonight. we got a little bit of ground to cover, and uh, particularly oh, right around verse 3 or so, I need to slow down for a minute and, and do a little bit of teaching that I think is important, but I want to make sure that I don't come across wrong in the teaching. And, I, and I'll tell you why. Um, because what I'm going to teach is completely politically incorrect. Now, I'm not really worried about that. You understand what I'm saying? I don't care. Obviously, if you can't figure out that all the political correctness and the rest of the brainwashing that's going on in the media and in the schools and in the culture in this country and around the world, if you can't figure out that it doesn't work on your own, then I don't know what to tell you. It obviously doesn't work. And so I'm not apologizing for teaching you the Bible, but I'm going to teach on a subject here in just a little bit that's a touchy subject. And uh, I don't fall uh, all the way over on the right-hand side with it, and I don't fall all the way over on the left-hand side with it. What I fall with it is right where the Bible falls. And I don't apologize for that. And I never plan on apologizing for that. It's a touchy subject because some take it so far to one extreme that it's unrealistic and that it hurts people. And others take it so far to the other extreme that it's also unrealistic and it hurts people. And I don't want to do any hurting, so I'm going to have to slow down here in just a little bit and uh, make sure we spell this thing out clearly. But um, as you know, we've been going through the book of Romans, and I, I think Romans chapter 7 is one of, um, one of the best chapters in here regarding, if you're looking for help, in getting victory over sin in your life. And I think it's one of the best, not the best. I like Romans chapter 8 a little more, because Romans chapter 8 delves into the mechanics of the solution. And I think a lot of Christians that want to serve God and want to do right fail in their walk with Jesus Christ and fail in their victory over sin because they haven't been taught. It's not always because they're disinterested in knowing. I think a lot of people want to do right and they struggle a lot with sin. And, uh, and I, my heart goes out to them, especially when you're in, forgive me for a second, but if you're in milk toasty churches that aren't going to dig in and teach you the Bible and all they give you is the surfacey stuff every service, that doesn't help a whole lot in the day-to-day -day grind of your walk with Jesus Christ. I realize we need meat. And I mean, we need milk, and I always want to be able to preach milk. I want to be able to preach and teach in such a way where brand-new babies can get what they need and ones that aren't saved can get the gospel and get saved. I mean, that's so important to me. But in your walk with Jesus Christ, you've got to move past the milk. And what we're going to get into tonight is some of the meat of the Word of God to help you understand sin and sin in you and how to get the victory over that sin. Romans chapter 7, verse 1, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that ye should bring forth fruit unto God. And I think that's what you want to do tonight, and you wouldn't be here, right? I know I do. Let's pray and ask God's blessing. Father, we love you tonight, and I pray that as we go through this chapter verse by verse and teach on this stuff, God, that your Holy Spirit would open up our eyes to what we need tonight, that you'd feed the flock of God, that you'd feed your people. God, I ask you to be with my mind, be with my heart. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me to have wisdom, Lord, to put things the right way. I don't want to do any damage to anybody. And Lord, uh, some people have some things in their past they can't go back and change, so there's no... No sense, no use in living in the past and, and, and keeping people under that stuff. Give them liberty tonight. Help them to get the help they need if that's their case. And Lord, for those of us that are trying to do right and moving forward for you, help us to get the teaching here and understand the severity of this stuff and to really uh, be able to digest what we need to digest to help us in our walk with Jesus Christ. We ask it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and for his sake. Amen. Notice, according to verse number 1, he says, Know ye not, brethren, now the parentheses, for I speak to them that know the law. Now he's asking a question. Verse number one's a question. He's saying, don't you know something? I I'm talking to you that know the law. 
I'm talking to you that know your Bible. Now, you say we're not Old Testament Jews, but if you're a Bible-believing Christian, you've been in church any length of time, you've read your Bible, you understand the Old Testament law, you know the law, uh, you get the whole point that he's making here. And so he's speaking to people that ought to know something at this point. And he says, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. So in that Old Testament, when they were under that law, as long as they were alive, the law had dominion, the law had control over them. That means in the Old Testament, if a man turned from his righteousness, like you're taught, and dies in his sin, he went to hell in the Old Testament. So you had to continue in the works of the law all the way to the grave in the Old Testament. Now, here's the argument that some make against that. They'll say, well, you're trying to tell us that they got to heaven without the cross. We never said that. The Bible never said that. What the Bible says is that if they maintained their works all the way to the end of their life, they went to Abraham's bosom and they waited for Christ to be crucified. So that deletes the whole argument, you know, well, they got saved looking forward to the cross in the Old Testament. Hogwash, no, they didn't. They didn't know it, for if they'd have known it, the princes of this world would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They didn't see what was going to happen. They saw a king coming to reign, but they didn't understand that he was going to die first and be buried and rise again the third day. They didn't get all that. So in the Old Testament, what they had to do is they had to stay under that law, and as long as that man was alive, the law had dominion over him. That means every day of your life when you messed up, you better make sure you get it right according to the law. You better make sure you go offer those sacrifices. You better make sure you keep all those things that were given you to keep. And when you broke them, you had to get it right and make the sacrifice to get it right. And if you didn't get it right, you died with that sin on your account. He said, don't you know this? Now look at verse 2. Now he's going to use an illustration of marriage. Watch this. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband as long, so long as he liveth. But if her husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is freed from that, free from that law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Now that's a pretty tough passage. You know what he said? He said, don't you realize that a woman is bound by the law to her husband? And as long as that man's alive, if she divorces him and goes and marries somebody else, she's living in adultery. Ouch. That's pretty brutal, huh? By the way, you got a whole bunch of uh, religions out there that teach if you've ever been divorced, you can't do this and you can't do that and you can't do the other thing in the church or you're out of fellowship with the church if you've been divorced. I've told you before and I'll tell you again and I'm going to show you some stuff here from the Bible to get the proper balance on this. I've told you before, I'm going to tell you again. We got a whole lot of people in this church that have been divorced. And guess what? Just so you know, if you've been divorced, you are not a second class Christian to me. You understand that? I want you to understand that. It's not like, well, I've been divorced so now I can't serve the Lord. Listen to me, it's not even like, and this is, I told you I'm going to push some, some hot topics here tonight. It's not even like, well, the Bible says he's to be the husband of one wife, so if I've been divorced, I can't pastor. That's hogwash. That is not biblical. That thing is being taught that a man's to have the, the, the husband of one wife not to be living in polygamy. He's saying a pastor should have one wife. Now, according to this text... If your spouse dies, you are freed from that law. You are free to go marry somebody else, and it's not sin. Is that pretty clear, right? Yeah, sure. But wait a second. That's not all the Bible says about divorce. If I was a Roman Catholic, I would take this text and I would say, everybody that's been divorced for whatever reason are automatically living in sin, and you're living in adultery. And if you're living in adultery, we've got to kick you out of the church if you're not going to get it right. What do you do if you've been divorced as a born-again Christian... And now you're remarried, and you realize your last divorce wasn't a scriptural divorce, and now you're remarried. See the boat that preachers can put people in if they don't study their Bible and thoroughly study it? And show you the truth about that stuff? They can beat you up over something that uh, you can't do anything about. It's in the past. Now tonight, I don't want to focus on that side of it, because you all know, and you've heard me teach, if you've been here any length of time, 
how I feel about folks that are divorced. I don't beat them up over it. I don't hold, them, hold it over their head. And I'm not going to punish them for it. But tonight I want to talk to those of you that aren't divorced. That means if this is your second marriage, then whatever. What's in the past, put it under the, under the blood and move forward for Jesus Christ. But if this is your first marriage, I want to talk to you. I want you to understand God hates divorce. Can I just say this as your pastor? I hate divorce. I will do everything in my power to fight you, to fight you, to push back on you from getting a cotton-picking divorce. Everything in my power. I think it's wicked. I think God hates it. I don't think you have an excuse or a right to get divorced. And I am telling you, I'm going to preach a little bit. I'm feeling coming on. I'm supposed to be teaching tonight, so visitors, sorry, but you're going to see the worst side of me. I am so sick and so tired of the stupid excuses that I hear people coming up with for why they want or deserve or are going to get a divorce. I'm sick and tired of it. I'm sick and tired of a quitter generation, a pathetic generation, a weak generation that all you can think about is yourself. I'm sick of it. I'm tired of watching this gray divorce. You know what that is? People in their 70s, people married over 30, 40, and 50 years getting divorced. Are you kidding me? Thank you. I'm glad you're back. We missed you. You feeling better now? Amen. From a man who lost his wife. Go to Matthew chapter 19. Not to divorce. Matthew chapter 19. Look at verse 3. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him. Ain't that interesting? What do they want to know about? Saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? Now hang on a second. They're setting him up. You know why? In the Old Testament? Didn't Moses give him an exception and let him do it? They're setting Jesus Christ up with this question. Ain't that interesting? What kind of a spirit's doing that? I'll tell you this much. Listen to me. It is not the Spirit of God. And he answered and said unto them, Have ye not read? I like it right there. I think right there he could have walked away. <laughs> Go read your Bible. <laughs> you know? That he which made them at the beginning made them male and female. And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Guess what, mom and dad? Once they get married, they're no longer your little baby anymore. Listen, those girls will always be my little girls. That's how I'll feel about them. I don't know how you're going to change that. But once they get married, I don't have any control over their life. Man, that's a tough one, ain't it? My heart goes out to you moms and dads that got married kids. That's a rough, that's a rough deal, man. You don't even see that one coming. There's no way to prepare for it. Just to see them breaking away and that kind of thing, that's a tough thing. But it's a good thing. Did you know that? It's a wholesome thing. It's what God wants them to do. They're supposed to leave mom and dad and cleave to one another, and they twain shall be one flesh. At that point, he's under God. Wherefore, they are no more twain but one flesh. What therefore who? God hath joined together. Let not man put asunder. And they said, all right, we got him. He walked right into our trap. Because they knew where they were going. They're brilliant minds. They're scholars. They're the religious leaders in the church. They're ready to set him up, boy. They say unto him, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement? I'm sure they had a sarcastic, arrogant look in their face. I'm sure their chest puffed out a little bit and their head tipped back and their eyes were popping just a little bit and said, oh, yeah. We got him now. We're going to make a heretic out of him. Maybe we can crucify him early. They wanted him gone. Watch this. Why, why didn't Moses command to give a writing a divorcement and to put her away? He did. You ever go back there and read the rules for divorce in the Old Testament? Guess what, ladies? 
you know, you know, a big part of why these divorce things happening is all this equal rights stuff. I'm telling you right now, the root of it is all this equal rights stuff. It's all this struggle for power, struggle for authority. You make your husband so miserable, he makes you miserable and get to where you don't want to live with him anymore. Like the old preacher said, Dr. Ruckman said, if a man can't rule the roost, he'll fly the coop. Period. You can't change that. And this culture can't change that. Your education can't change that. It's hardwired in a male to be that way, period, the end of the discussion. That's how he's hardwired. you got to pervert him and mess him up to get him to where he's so docile he'll roll over and just belly up all the time. And if that's you, sir, you need to start eating some raw steak. <laughs> Amen. He saith unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. He said, the reason Moses suffered that is because you bunch of rebels in the wilderness were driving him so crazy and making his life so impossible and making each other's life so impossible and so rebellious against God that Moses finally said, fine, divorce her. I don't care what you do. It's your problem. Ladies, under that Old Testament law, there wasn't a provision for you. You were stuck. If a man wasn't pleased with her, he wrote a bill of divorcement and put her away just like that anytime he wanted. But I didn't see much for the women. That's brutal, isn't it? Let me show you how great Jesus is. Let's finish this one. Look at verse 9. I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication. Do you see that? And shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery. What did Jesus Christ say right there in verse number 9? Whosoever shall put his, uh, away his wife except it be for committeth adultery. In other words, if she steps out on you, you can divorce her. <clears throat> except it be for fornication. Why? Because of the very definition of the word marriage. And scripturally in that Old Testament, marriage was flesh joining flesh. So the deal is, is that she already married her body to another individual when she was never supposed to do that. She was supposed to promise that forsaking all others, cleave thee only unto her, only unto him, so long as ye both shall live. And then what he did, what she did, or what he did is stepped out. I'll show you, it goes both ways, by the way. Stepped out on him and married themselves to somebody else. So all I'm doing is filing the paperwork. You're the one that got the divorce. You follow that? So no, you don't get to just live like hell and cheat on your spouse and all the rest of that stuff and think you get away with it. And don't you young people dare buy into this filthy generation you live in that says, oh, we're not jealous, and so we have this open stuff going on. Let me tell you something. Every last one of them is jealous and every one of them wind up messed up and destroyed and falling apart. That stuff doesn't work. God created you and God wired you to be a certain way. And if you ain't jealous over your spouse, if you got a boyfriend or a girlfriend that ain't, get, or a fiance at least that ain't jealous, something is wrong with you. And if your husband is jealous, good. And if your wife is jealous, good. Now don't become a nut job. Okay? Don't be crazy. Don't, don't take it so far you destroy your relationship, but a little bit of jealousy is a good thing. Nothing wrong with that, man. Come on. I mean, I'm sick of this generation. They're crazy, man. It's crazy. It's my wife. Amen. Mark chapter 10, please. Mark chapter 10. We were younger. You know how it's a little bit worse when you're younger, I think. We were, we were jealous, and we had some friends made fun of us for it. And we didn't. We talked to each other. I don't think we're wrong to you. I don't care if we are. You know, like, yeah, I'm you too. Well, everybody that made fun of us is divorced. We're running on 21 years, 21 and a half. Mark chapter 10, verse 2. And the Pharisees came to him and asked him, is it, a lawful, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife, tempting him? And he answered and said unto them, Did Moses command you? What did Moses command you? All right, so this time he's getting out ahead of them. And they said, Moses suffered to write a bill of divorcement and to put her away. 
Jesus answered and said unto them, For the hardness of your hearts he wrote unto you this precept. But from the beginning of the creation God made them male and female. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. So then they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. And in the house his disciples asked him again of the same matter. See how much of a hot topic this is and always has been? Even the disciples couldn't let it go. They got back to the house and they were bugged about it. Hey man, we need an escape. Don't you know people change Jesus? Don't you know she ain't the same woman she was when I married her? Don't you know my husband ain't the same guy he was back then? Come on, Lord. I didn't realize it was going to get this bad. You know, he's just, he's just changed. <laughs> Duh. Everybody does. So have you, honey. You know, nine times out of ten, nine times out of ten, if you do any marriage counseling at all, you figure out real fast they both deserve each other. What's the problem? Both of you. Get right with God and get out of my office. Stinking knock it off. Amen. Love each other. It's a choice. It's a choice. Puppy love is that other stuff. Oh, I, just can't, I just can't live without him. You know, and then you're like, go to work, man, you know. It's a choice. Verse 11. Uh, uh, yeah, verse 10. In the house his disciples asked him again of the same matter. He saith unto them, Whosoever shall put away his wife and marry another committeth adultery against her. You see that, fellas? Man, Jesus is good, boy. Under the Mosaic law, those fellas all had multiple wives. Ladies, Jesus cares about you. And Jesus is teaching your husbands to be good men who love you and who are faithful to you and who don't abuse you and don't use you for their own good. And I'm not stepping. Jesus is, I'm telling what Jesus is trying to teach him. Amen. And he says, when a, when a man put away his wife and marry another, committeth adultery against her. And if a woman shall put away her husband and be married to another, she committeth adultery. So guess what the exception was? Fornication. If they step out on you, you got a right to divorce them. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. You know what my recommendation would be if your spouse cheated on you? If you just literally, if you're just literally done, if there's just no way you can handle it, you just can't do it. Like, I mean, you can't do it. Because you see, what it means to forgive them and to stick it out means you let it go. It, it doesn't mean you use it for the next 20, 30, 40 years to torture them with it. It doesn't mean you beat them over the head with it. It means you literally forgive them and let it go. And that, that can't necessarily happen overnight. I wouldn't put that kind of pressure on somebody. But you've got to work towards that goal. You've got to be making progress that direction. And so if you literally can't do it and you're like, no preacher, I'm getting divorced, I can't do it. I would say, all right, will you do me a huge favor? This is how serious I think divorce is, how bad it is. I'd say, would you do me a huge favor? Would you just separate from them for about two or three months? Don't file yet. Get your distance. Fast. Pray. Get some time with God. And then after two or three months, if you're still sure you can't, you do have a biblical right to go ahead and divorce them. And I would not beat you up over it. Because that is a biblical right. I'm just trying to tell you how terrible divorce is. I'm just trying to tell you divorce... Folks, divorce is almost never the solution. And no, you're not the exception. You know what the devil starts doing? He starts dancing around in your mind. He starts telling some of you women, well, I was just young back then and I didn't know what I was doing. He starts telling some of you men that you look a lot better than you look and you could get a lot better. Because <laughs> you're male, you know, you look in the mirror and you're like, you can't see that the stomach's out past, you know, here, you just... You nuts, man. He starts playing around in your head. I was young and dumb and didn't know what I was doing. Yeah, see, I'm reading your mail, aren't I? Well, the answer is not disobeying God. The answer is not disobeying God. You think that's the answer? <laughs> I shouldn't have married him. Oh, so two wrongs make a right, huh? 
If you stood there and you promised, for better or worse, for richer or poorer, in sickness and in health, and forsaking all others, cleave thee only unto her, and you said, I will, before God, before the church, before that spouse. And then you go through a rough patch of two, three, four, five, ten years, and you're miserable, and now you think, well, God wouldn't want me to stay in a miserable marriage. Really? It's not good for the kids. Oh, so it's better for the kids for you to disobey God. Genius stuff, boy, genius stuff, the way the devil works in our heads. 1 Corinthians 7, look at verse 15. Am I being hard on you? I'm trying to be a little bit, but not too bad. 1 Corinthians 7, 15, watch this. Well, back it up for here, the verse 13. And the woman which hath a husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. You see that? Now, that means you're married to a man who's not saved. Right? Now, now stop for a second. Now, think about that for a minute. What does it mean to be married to a man that doesn't believe? Could that mean that he's a drinker? Could that mean he's a cusser? Could that mean he's sitting in your living room watching stuff that as a Christian, you've got to get up and leave the room because you can't watch it? Because it's just full of all kinds of stuff nowadays. I'm not talking about anything, you know, extreme. I'm talking about stuff people sit around and watch that you as a Christian wouldn't want to watch for entertainment. Could it mean that he's a dope smoker? Could it mean that on Friday nights he's out at the bar coming in drunk? Could it mean that he's gambling? A lost man. Now let me ask you a question. You're a Christian woman trying to raise kids in a home. Don't you think that'd be a real bad influence on your kids? Don't you think that'd be really rough on your teenagers when you're trying to get them through? Don't you think if any woman had an excuse to say, I'm just going to get a divorce because my kids shouldn't be around, it's bad for the kids, that it's this woman. You know what God said to do? You don't think God knows all that stuff? You don't think God knows what lost men do? And God said right here in this passage, if a woman has a husband that believeth not, if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband sanctified by the wife. What God's saying is, that marriage is not a marriage I sanctified, but if you're a saved woman, or you're a woman that's gotten right with God and he's backslidden, or he's not saved at all, and you married him when you weren't right with God, or before you were saved, or whatever it was, but now you're serving God and he's not, don't leave him. I sanctified that marriage because of you. On your behalf, I'm saying that's a legal marriage. That one's good. That's a spiritual marriage in God's view for your sake. Ain't that a, Could you imagine the standing you have with God? That's a blessing right there, by the way. That ought to drive some women to their knees to be getting a hold of God and recognize how important your walk with Jesus Christ is and your influence in that marriage is. You might be the only reason God hasn't killed that joker yet. Amen. Even if he deserves it. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, verse 14, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. So that goes back the other way, gentlemen. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. That's your third reason for remarriage where you're freed from the bondage. Remember Romans 7? You're under the law as long as you live. You're freed from the bonds of that marriage if your spouse dies. You're freed from the bonds of that marriage if your spouse steps out on you and marries their body to somebody else. You're freed from the bonds of that marriage if your spouse just says, I'm done, I'm out of here, goodbye. And they ditch you and divorce you. You're freed and you can go remarry. Those are your reasons. You know what the devil does? The devil says, well, if a man look at a woman to lust after he's committed adultery already in his heart, right? He's quoting Bible just like the Pharisees were quoting Bible to Jesus. Well, that's, he wasn't saying. What he was saying back there was that we're all guilty. Whether you've committed the act in your body by actually marrying yourself to somebody else or not, he's saying none of you are righteous. None of you are above the law. You've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You're going to say, oh, I haven't. I don't commit adultery and I don't steal and I don't kill and I don't cuss and I don't do this and I don't do that. I haven't done all those things. And he said, yeah, but if you hate him in your heart, you're a murderer. If you look at a woman of lust after you committed adultery, he's not saying that, oh, so I'm, I caught him looking at somebody. I can divorce him. 
Well, this is another one I've gotten a lot of. I'm telling you, I'm, my bucket's full of it. I just, you need to know where your pastor stands on this stuff and where your standing is with your church on this stuff. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of watching kids' lives be destroyed by foolishness. Here's another one I've heard a lot of. Well, he hasn't left the house, but he's abandoned me emotionally. Well, I'm not Moses, so I'm not going to suffer you to write a bill of divorcement, but do what you're going to do and get out of my office. Because you're making excuses and you're trying to pull God into it. I don't respect that. I respect somebody saying, I've had it, preacher. I can't take it anymore. I know it's not right. I'm doing it. Okay, at least, you, at least you're being honest. But when you try to act like you're self-righteous and super spiritual in the divorce process and walk around like you're the right one and they're the wrong one and paint them as something, try to pull God into it, that's a very dangerous thing to start playing with. I wouldn't mess with God. The Bible tells you in Malachi, he hates putting away. That doesn't mean if you're divorced, God hates you. That doesn't mean if in the past one of your divorces weren't right, just ask God to forgive you and move forward. You can't go back and fix it. Did I tell you that already? I don't want to beat anybody up that had mess-ups in the past. That's not what I'm about. I'm about helping some of you younger folks and some of you married folks realize this is a serious thing and God has a law on this stuff and God expects you to stick it out. I know it's all hearts and flowers at first and after a few years it's guns and roses. You know what I'm saying? Those are what go, roses are what goes on the graveside. You get my point? I get it. But God expects you to stick it out. That's why when people love you and you're falling in love, they're always over there trying to pump the brakes on you, telling you to slow down a little bit, telling you to make sure. It's a lifelong commitment. And, oh, no, we're in love, we're in love. Like, whoa, well, we can see things you can't see. We've been somewhere where you're not. We're not trying to put you in bondage and say stay single forever to get you in trouble and wind you see you messing up your life. But sometimes they're pumping the brakes because once you made that vow, you are in that vow. And the only way out of that thing is to make a bigger mess than the mess you're in being married. Because God can't bless it if you ain't going to get divorced his way. So you got women that do all kinds of things. And you got men that do all kinds of things. To their spouse. Let, let me show you. I'm going to take you to this verse. I was going to skip it, but I need you to see it. Go to Malachi chapter 2. I'm going to show you something. And then we'll get back on point here with the Romans. End of the Old Testament. Folks, it's serious stuff. And listen, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the way I always talk about marriage. I am joking if you don't notice. The way I talk about life. Some of you are like, man, preachers are like depressing. Listen. I'm serious right now. I'm not playing. The second best thing, this is my honest opinion, the second best thing that ever happened to me outside of Jesus Christ is grace. Amen. I, I love being married. I love having children. I love having a church. I love pastoring. I love, I love every bit of it. But it's more guts than glory. Ask her. It's more guts than glory. You gotta stick out the bad times to enjoy the good, and it's worth it. It's worth it. I'm I'm not I'm not being a jerk. I'm not trying to get points. I don't need any points right now. I'm all good on points. Listen, I adore her. She means the world to me. She's been good to me. She's stuck with me for 21 years, and she knows me better than every last one of you. I'll be a jerk in the car on the way here in a bad mood or whatever else is going on and come in and preach and we get in the car and she says, that was a blessing, honey. The rest of you say, that was a blessing, preacher. It don't mean the same as if I was like a jerk to her just a few minutes. But if you understand what I'm saying, it's a great thing to be married. But it's work. It's work. It's a decision. It's a commitment. And it's not something you just get to walk away from because you don't like the decision you made. You picked them, stupid. Now you stick with them. Amen. And don't ask me for my blessing if you don't have a biblical reason for it. Not giving it to you. Here's another one for you. I'm getting to it in Malachi 2.14. We'll start in just a second. Here's another one for you. Well, I'm mentally and emotionally abused. You and everybody else on the planet. Do I need to repeat it? 
Everybody gets mentally and emotionally abused. Grow up. Malachi 2.14. That was rough, man. I'm, I'm sorry. I am trying so hard not to be as rough as I... It might need to be said, though. Malachi 2.14. Yet ye say, wherefore? Because the Lord hath been witness between thee and the wife of thy youth, against thou whom thou hast dealt treacherously. Yet is she thy companion, you see that? And the wife of thy covenant. Did not he make one? Yet he had the residue of the Spirit. So he holds your individual souls. But he made you one. And wherefore one? That he might seek a godly seed. So you can't raise godly kids disobeying God and getting divorced. Therefore take heed to your spirit. And let none deal treacherously against the wife of his youth. You know what God said you better take heed to in your marriage? Your spirit. Well, I didn't do nothing. What? You sent a message when you walked in the room. You got yourself sideways. You're being a baby. You're sending those, those little, little messages. You know, the Bible tells you in 1 Corinthians not to be uh, crude, but the Bible tells you that you're not to defraud one another. So you got women that'll defraud their husband hoping he'll step out on them. So they got a biblical reason to divorce them. You better believe at the judgment seat of Christ, that kind of thing, boy, I'm t- that man does mess up. And then you plaster his name and his testimony, his reputation all over the church and all over the world and let everybody know what a cheater he is, an adulterer he is. But, he, they don't want, but you won't tell him for two, three years behind the scenes you were defrauding. That ain't an excuse, fellas. It's not an excuse. You understand me? Man up. It's not an excuse. But when a woman does something like that to her husband, she's just as guilty, if not more guilty. She's guilty personally, and then she's guilty of doing it, to, of causing somebody else to do it. That's why the Lord told you not to use your body as a weapon. Take heed to your spirit. Why? Because God's testifying, God's witnessing. Verse 16, For the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. That's in Malachi. That's after Moses had given them their reasons to get out. And God's telling them, I hate it. For one covereth violence with a garment, saith the Lord of hosts. Therefore take heed to your spirit that ye deal not treacherously. He's saying you better watch the way you treat each other. Over in Peter he says your heirs together are the grace of life. Your heirs together of the grace of life. That's an individual you get to get old with. 20 years from now, if you're in your 20s, 20 years from now, everything that matters to you isn't going to matter quite as much in 20 years. And I'm old enough to know in 20 more years, things that might matter to me now ain't going to matter then, but it sure is going to be nice to have a woman next to me to get old with me, to know me well. I, I hope, Lord willing, it'd be nice one day to be able to pass the grandkid back and forth. I mean, we, we've been there together when we're having our own kids. We've been there together in the hospitals. We've been there together with our kids in the hospitals. We sat and cried together and held hands together. We bought houses together, sold houses together. Tried to train dogs together. Tried not to kill some dogs together. Tried not to kill some kids together. I mean, we've been through a lot after 21 years. Sure, it's a, it's, a, it's a grace that God's given us to be alive. And we're heirs together. We're working together. She's been helping me for 16 years in the ministry Behind the scenes, anything I need, more than people know, even she, that she even does, she does. Way more than is public. For heirs together. Because we're going to a judgment together. I want to stand there before the Lord together. And he's saying, you better take care of how you treat each other. You're here to get each other through. You're here to keep each other going. You're here to lean on one another. You're here to love one another. You're here to be loyal and faithful to one another. Loyal and faithful to one another. In other words, don't be running your mouth about your spouse to people around the church. If you need help, there's somewhere to go to get some help where it won't get spread everywhere. But don't be running each other down to people around the church. I will not put up with that stuff. Character assassination of your spouse. You lost your mind. 
because five years from now when you're back in love again, other people are going to sit around and look at your spouse and not forget what you said when you were mad. And wonder about their character and their testimony and everything else. All right, let's get back over to Romans. I've got to get back on track here. All right, so you've got to understand that he's using this thing as an illustration of the law and you. And he's saying that as long as you're alive, you're, you're, you're bound to that woman. And she's bound to you as long as you're alive. In verse number four, he says, Wherefore, my brethren, ye also, so you see the illustration, are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another, even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. So wait a second. When you got saved... Your soul was married to your body when you were lost. Your soul was married to your body. You remember that? We talked about that more than once. That's why in the Old Testament, when they touched something unclean, it defiled their soul. Remember all those laws about uncleanness and they had to go in and they had to cleanse themselves and purify and bring an offering and all that stuff? Because if you touched something unclean, it didn't just defile your body, it defiled your soul too. That's in the Old Testament. That is why lost people are still under the law. The law is their judge. It's their schoolmaster. It shows them constantly that they're sinful because their body is still stuck to their soul. When you got saved, according to the book of Colossians, which we've seen before, so I'll just reference it, you got the circumcision made without hands, the faith of the operation of God, right? He cut your soul away from your body and his spirit came into you and gave you a new spirit. He quickened you. You were dead in trespasses and sins. So now your soul is married to his body, his spirit, when you get saved and you're literally dead to this flesh. So a saved man can touch something unclean and it might defile his body, but it will never defile his soul. A saved man can smoke a cigarette He'll get cancer. God will, listen to me, God will judge you in the flesh for living according to the flesh. But it will not impact your soul. So as a saved man, you can go out tonight, you can just kind of relapse and go get some heroin and stick that needle in your arm and shoot that thing up and drop dead because the judgment of God says I've had it with you. And go straight to heaven. Because that heroin, that sin, affected your body, but it won't affect your soul because of the circumcision made without hands, you're dead to that body. Reckon yourself, yourselves also to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God, and you're married to Christ. Ain't that wild? That literally happened. That's why when you got saved, you knew it. And that's why when you are saved and you live like hell and you push all the lines and push all the limits and you make excuses for your sins and you justify it and you're like one of those Pharisees that finds Bible to justify your fornication and your adultery and your wickedness. Listen, you're miserable and it shows on your face. I told you I felt some preaching coming on tonight. Sorry, I'm supposed to be teaching. You can tell, boy, you think we can't read you. You're miserable because you're backslidden. I'm not being mean to you. I, I care about you. And I don't, I don't like to see you miserable. I'm trying to help you tonight because you can have victory over sin. Look at verse 5. For when we were in the flesh. See that? I already explained that to you. When you're not saved, your soul is in that flesh. It's connected to that flesh. The motions of sin which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law that we being dead wherein we were held, we were held by the law, but now we're dead, that we should serve in newness of spirit, but not in oldness of the letter. We're not legalists. We're freed from the law. We couldn't hack it. The law condemns everybody that tries to live up to it. The law proves sinfulness. But when you got saved, now all of a sudden, you got something inside of you that is able to help you live the way God wants you to live. It's coming from the heart. It's coming from the spirit. It's coming from the inside. It's not all this pressure to serve God. It's a heartfelt thing. That's a great thing, man. Look at verse 7. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? <clears throat> God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law. 
For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. You see a connection there, a definition there for lust? Covetousness. It doesn't always have to be sexual things. It can be just not being content with what God's given you. You're seeing something somebody else has and wanting that, or seeing somebody else's, your perception, by the way, of somebody else's marriage, and I just wish my marriage was like that. Yeah, that's a wicked heart. You got what you got, man. Go to war with the army you have. And figure it out. <laughs> Amen. So the law is not the problem. This is literally like getting out there on the, on the road and doing 75 miles an hour and having a South Lion, a Lion Township or a South Lion cop pull you over and say, hey, excuse me, sir, did you know you were speeding? You know what the problem is? These stupid stop signs. I'm not guilty. The problem's with stop signs. No, it's not. Taking away our rights. Making us wear seatbelts. I'm a sovereign citizen. Don't tell me to wear a seatbelt. You're an idiot. Do you know why they have speed limit signs? So somebody, 16-year-old kid in a muscle car, nothing against them. Give me a muscle car at 16 and see what happens. Okay? Listen, back in the days, I got air over there on 9 Mile. Don't do that, kids. You'll die. And my dad's Mercury Grand Marquis. So somebody, 16-year-old kid like me, doesn't kill somebody. That's what the speed limit signs are for. They tell you to put on a seatbelt because they've done the statistics and they see how many people die and how many people survive based on whether or not you're wearing a seatbelt. The law is not the problem. You break it and the law is the problem. It's literally like blaming the police officer for pulling you over when you were doing 75 because they have laws. Do you see why so many people get so mad at the Bible? Oh, that Old Testament law. He's an Old Testament preacher. Ooh. You see, when you have that attitude toward the Word of God, it's proof to me that you ain't got freedom. Because when you're free, you don't feel that way about the Bible. Verse 8, but sin's the problem. But sin taking occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life I found to be unto death. For sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me and by it slew me. So this is one of the passages that shows you very clearly that children go to heaven when they die before the age of accountability. Hey, why? Because sin was present in them, right? From birth. Sin was there. But the knowledge of sin wasn't in them yet. They're not old enough to know the difference between their right hand and their left, Jonah. So since they're not old, old enough to know the difference between the right hand or their left, or they were born with some kind of a handicap mentally or whatever, they, they don't know the difference. They're still sinners. But that sin is not imputed to them because they don't have the law. But you, when the sign says wet paint, don't touch. What is the first thing? What is the first thing everybody does? If you want everybody to touch the walls to see if the paint's going to hold up, put wet paint, don't touch on the wall and watch them little sinners. And watch them big sinners. Adults will come up and go. Because something about it when it says don't do it. Something about it when you know you're not allowed to smoke or vape, kids. It makes it more fun when you're not allowed. You know what that is? That's sin in you. And what the commandment did is the commandment exposed that sin and then it adds fuel to that sin because sometimes it's more fun just because it's forbidden. That shows you how wicked you and I are. Whereas you'd have never cared to touch that wall at all. Until somebody said, it's wet, don't touch it. Verse 12. Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and just, and good. It was ordained to life. God says, you want to live? Here's what you got to do. And every single man, woman, and child on the planet failed it. Brutal. Was then that which is good made death unto me? God forbid. The law is not the problem. 
But sin, see the problem? Sin that it might appear sin, working death in me by that which is good, that sin by the commandment might become exceeding sinful. Sin is so ugly and so nasty and so cancerous and so ungodly and so destructive and so relentless that when it sees something good like the commandment, it says, I know what to do. Let's go farther, faster. Now we know it's wrong. We're going to do it anyways. And so we wind up putting rainbows on us and say, <laughs> defying God on every level. To the point where mankind gets so bad that in the tribulation period when their tongue is thick from the drought and the skin is literally peeling off their back because the sun is seven times hotter, they curse God knowing God's the one that did it. They shake their fist in his face and tell him, blankety blank you, why are you doing this to me? That's sin. Folks, you better be careful about playing around with sin. I'm telling you right now. You better be careful about playing around with sin. It's got a venom in it that'll rip, rip your guts out. And the problem is, although you're separated from your flesh, you're still stuck in it. And in you that is in your flesh dwells no good thing and your flesh wants to do wrong. Yeah. Now watch, we'll be done here in a minute. Verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual. No question. But I, I'm carnal. Sold under sin. It's the greatest Christian in the New Testament. For that which I do, I allow not. I know that was wrong. For what I would, that do I not. I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to pray more. I'm going to witness more. I'm going to be more faithful to church, and then I don't. But what I hate, that do I. You guys know you hate sin. Do you realize that? Do you realize that? If you're a born-again Christian, you hate it. You feel dirty. You despise every bit of it. And then you do it, and then you say, why did I do that? Paul relates. If then I do that which I would not, I consent unto the law that it is good. He said, in my own mind and in my own heart, I'm admitting the law's right. Now then, I, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. This is why I tell you, as a born-again Christian, if you're saved, you are a genuine, bona fide schizophrenic. <laughs> really, you got two personalities. you got yours, and it's a sinful one, and you got the Holy Spirit living in you, and He's telling you to do different. And then you mess up, and you say, I shouldn't have done that. That's not me. That's the dead man. That's the one that's dead and trespasses and sins. That's the one that's dead and lives under Christ. That's not me. That's why I'm miserable, because that's not me. That's not who I want to be. That's not what I am anymore. That might be what I used to be, but that's not what I am. Listen to me, Christians. The root, hear me clearly, the root of psychology, the father of the modern deal, Freud, right? It's the study of the soul Without God, psycho-soulology, the study of. It's the study of man's soul without God. You better be super careful about going to therapists and psychologists to answer all your little emotional needs if you haven't first consulted God and consulted the Bible and let that treat you first. And I wouldn't say never should a Christian ever go to a therapist, but it's a whole lot rarer than this rush going on in this modern generation. If you got right with God, and if you recognize that God has the answers, and He created you, and He knows how to make you happy, He has not given you the spirit of fear, but of power, and of love, and of a sound mind. You might not need to run to some godless therapist that tells you the thing is you need to divorce your spouse. By the way, come back for the next session. By the way, that'll be $225 an hour. I'm not saying never. Because I know extreme cases where there could be some benefit. Could be some. I'm sick of this rush of people already self-diagnosing because of stinking YouTube. 
and then getting their life off the rails before they ever consult God in the Bible. I'm sorry, I'm not mad at you. I'm just sick of it. I'm sick of watching people wreck their lives when this book's got the answers and God will help you out. Verse 18. For I know that in me, your therapist won't tell you this, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Oh, he's a good man. (laughs) Really? Not according to Paul. For the will is present with me. Yeah, I want to be a good man. But how to perform that which is good? I find not. I keep messing up. For the good that I would do, for the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. See it? Isn't that encouraging? You know why? Because you all mess up, don't you? And then the devil gets on your back and tells you you're a hypocrite and you might as well drop out of church and you're all this kind of stuff. And Paul said, I'm in the same boat as you. I mess up. You kids see your parents mess up? Hello? And the devil gets in your head and tries to say, listen, give your mom and dad a break, would you please? They're human. They're human. And they're trying. And they're teaching you what's right and wrong. That's the only reason you're so smart. You know how to judge them, whether they're right or wrong, because they taught you all that stuff. They're trying. Would you cut them a break? I'm telling you right now, you're going to want to break yourself in a few years. Paul said, I'm a mess, man. (laughs) I'm trying, but I'm a mess. Verse 19, for the good that I would do, I do not. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that, I would not. It is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. I already showed you that. I find then a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. It's a law. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray more. My phone will blow up. I've just had to get to where I'm shutting my ringer off. And I'm putting it down and I'm going. Because when, it, when it's somebody from church or something, i got to check. I, just, I have this like problem, right? And i got to reply. I just got to. So I just shut it off and put it away. Because I guarantee you, I guarantee you one thing. I'm going to try to up my prayer life. And I got this time set aside. I'm dedicating this time. I guarantee you that thing will start blowing up. And don't, don't you worry about that. Oh, I don't want to bother you because I'm thinking that you're praying 24-7 like you're some kind of a monk. No, I'm not praying 24-7. And you let me manage my phone and you just blow me up when you need me and I'll get back to you when I can. I usually try to do it right away. But that's just how it works. For I delight in the law of God. Verse 22, after the inward man. Don't you love the Bible? Doesn't something inside of you love this book? Isn't this thing amazing how it just reads your mind? But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Great question. You're stuck. What he's saying is, how am I ever going to live the victorious Christian life? Verse 25. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh the law of sin. Now next week we're going to get into this thing in chapter 8. We're going to talk about the Spirit of God and getting the victory over that sin. But for tonight, what you've got to understand is, according to verse number 25, what's going on with you is normal. And the struggle is normal. And that your flesh always wants to do wrong, and your mind wants to do right. And what you've got to focus on is the inner man. That is why I tell you, and I've been taught this myself, and I'm going to hammer it home so when I die, I hope it rings in your head the rest of your life. There's nothing in this world more important than your personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what this thing is all about. You and Him. And if that will be number one in your life, learning to develop that and grow in that and draw closer to Him, then what He'll do is He'll help you with the problem we all have right here, that according to Paul, as long as you're in it, it's not going 
away. Aaron's grandma told us. Remember she said, you all think because I'm old that it gets easier. I'll tell you, it don't get any easier. I still have my struggles. Well, there you have it. Paul said the same thing. It ain't going away. But you can have victory. And it's not about you trying to fight to get the victory. It's about you learning to love Jesus Christ and walk with Jesus Christ and draw closer to Jesus Christ and snuggle up to him and get as close to him as you can and soften your heart to him and just get soaked and saturated in him. And as you do that, he'll take care of all that other stuff. All right, let's go ahead and be dismissed in a word of prayer.